Hello and welcome to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. This is episode 65, being recorded on Sunday, January 9th, 2022. We are continuing with The Secret Still Hidden by Christopher A. Ferrara. And once again, this is available for free electronic download at the Fatima Center website, Fatima.org. You could also purchase copies there. It's important to take a look at this because it would appear that the Vatican has for quite some time said that the consecration has taken place and it's time to move on. That obviously is not the case. The consecration has not taken place of Russia by the Pope and all the bishops of the world to the Blessed Mother's Immaculate Heart. So let's delve into chapter 7 now, entitled The Cardinal Defaults. By the closing months of 2006, the former Archbishop Bertone, secretary of the CDF, had become Cardinal Bertone, successor to Cardinal Sodano as Vatican Secretary of State under Pope Benedict XVI. During the previous year, Sister Lucia had passed on to her eternal reward at the age of 97 to be followed shortly by Pope John Paul II. But the controversy over the third secret had not only failed to abate, it had reached a higher intensity than ever before. Antonio Sochi's fourth secret, published in November 2006, had shifted to the Vatican a heavy new burden of proof. The evidence Sochi had given such wide publicity, including the testimony of Archbishop Capavia, made it incumbent on the Vatican to demonstrate clearly and convincingly that it was not, in fact, engaged in what could only be called a conspiracy to conceal the words of the Virgin Mary indicated by Lucia's momentous etc. and set forth in a text once located in the papal apartment in the right-hand drawer of the writing desk called Barbarigo. The Risk of Default This was an unprecedented development in the history of the Church. A nationally prominent lay Catholic and television celebrity had, in essence, publicly accused the Vatican Secretary of State and his collaborators of deceiving the Church and the world in a matter of grave spiritual and temporal importance. This time, the accusation could not be handled with a dismissive reference to Fatimus. So she obviously could not be considered biased since he had been in agreement with Bertone's position before he began to examine the evidence. But as more and more members of the faithful, including Sochi, were coming to recognize, the Fatimists were nothing more or less than faithful Catholics who were dead right in their contentions. Thanks to Sochi's book, which gave voice to the concerns of these Catholics, the Vatican apparatus responsible for the handling of the Third Secret had been well and truly indicted in the court of public opinion. Now there was no choice but to answer the indictment, for not to answer it would be to concede that it was true. On the other hand, to answer Sochi would be a perilous undertaking. If his and the Fatimists' allegations were indeed true, then denying them would require further deception and the grave risk of further contradiction by the known facts. On the other hand, to join issue with Sochi, but then fail to address his allegations on their merits, would be even worse than not answering him at all. It would amount to a total default by Bertone and the Vatican. Given the danger, if the allegations were true, there could be no official Vatican response, and certainly no response from the Pope, who has always remained aloof from the controversy. And, in fact, as of this writing, 
and again, let me interject here, this was published in 2008, there has been no official Vatican response at all to Fourth Secret or the case it presents. Sochi, then, would have to be answered unofficially so as to preclude Vatican accountability for any unfavorable outcome. The failure of whoever answered Sochi would be his failure, not the Vatican's. That, at least, appears to be the reasoning behind the means by which Sochi was answered. A book that answers nothing. In May of 2007, Rizzoli, the same publisher that had published Fourth Secret, rushed into print a book by Cardinal Bertone entitled The Last Visionary of Fatima, known henceforth as Last Visionary. Last Visionary, which appeared in bookstores a mere six months after Fourth Secret, is essentially a 100-page interview of the Cardinal concerning various subjects, followed by another 50 pages of appendices. This massive verbiage surrounds a mere nine pages of comment in response to the claims of Sochi and the Fatimists, including Father Gruner, whose name is also mentioned by the Cardinal. The interviewer was a layman, Giuseppe De Carli, a Vaticanista, reporter on the Vatican Beat, an ardent admirer of the Cardinal, whose fawning questions not only posed no real challenge to the Cardinal, but actually assisted him in promoting what Sochi had called the official reconstruction of the Third Secret. The book is subtitled, My Meetings with Sister Lucia. These were the purported meetings the Vatican had sent Bertone to conduct in preparation for revelation of the Third Secret in June 2000, and to defend his position after publication of the vision and message were met with widespread incredulity. Last Visionary states that there were three meetings in all, April 27, 2000, the one in which Sister Lucia supposedly denied ever receiving an express order of Our Lady regarding disclosure of the Third Secret in 1960, November 17, 2001, the disastrous interview discussed in Chapter 5, and a never-previously-mentioned meeting on December 9, 2003, whose contents are not explicitly cited. Bertone says these three encounters lasted at least 10 hours in total. In view of what has already been presented here, it should hardly be surprising that not even one minute of those 10 hours was transcribed or recorded on audio or videotape. Instead, the Cardinal took notes, of which he later made syntheses. In an entirely new revelation, however, the Cardinal claims that he drew up edited minutes of the meetings which Sister Lucia signed with full conviction. These allegedly signed edited minutes have never been published and were never mentioned before Last Visionary, nor, quite tellingly, does the Cardinal provide copies of either the edited minutes or his notes as appendices to Last Visionary, and none of the purported witnesses to these interviews has ever attested to the accuracy of Bertone's notes, syntheses, and edited minutes. Incredibly enough, in Last Visionary, Bertone reveals that he did not even draft a list of specific questions in preparation for his three important missions from the Vatican to interrogate Sister Lucia. Yet, De Carli himself notes that when he went to interview Bertone for the book, he was armed with neat pages of questions and a tape recorder. That is the usual procedure for conducting a reliable interview of an important subject for the historical record. But all such safeguards were dispensed with here. Today, there is no way of verifying independently what Sister Lucia is alleged to have said to Bertone during 10 hours of conversation. We have only Bertone's alleged notes, syntheses, and edited minutes. But even these are not provided. And that, obviously, is exactly the way the Cardinal wants it. Avoiding every issue. 
In undertaking to answer Sochi, Cardinal Bertone was obliged to address at least these major points of Sochi's representation in Fourth Secret. The testimony of Archbishop Capovia that there are two texts and two envelopes comprising the Third Secret. The testimony of Bishop Venanzio and Cardinal Ottaviani that there is a text of the secret, one page and 25 lines in length, as opposed to the four pages and 62 lines of the vision of the bishop dressed in white. The words of the Virgin following Sister Lucia's etc. in the fourth memoir. The evidence for the lodging of a text of the secret in the papal apartment as distinct from the text in the Holy Office archives. The reading of texts of the secret by two popes, Paul VI and John Paul II, on dates years earlier than the dates in the official account and message, strongly evidencing the existence of a text other than the text of the vision produced in 2000. The Virgin's express order linking the secret to 1960, the year following the calling of the Second Vatican Council by John XXIII. The abundant testimony that the secret refers to a grave crisis in the Church after 1960 in conjunction with a planetary catastrophe. Although he has written an entire book to answer Sochi, Bertone ducks every one of these questions in Last Visionary, with one exception, linkage to the secret to 1960. On this issue, Bertone offers an explanation that is patently incredible, as we shall see. Let us examine briefly Last Visionary's attempt, or rather failure to attempt, an answer to Sochi. Conceding Capovia's testimony. First of all, in Last Visionary, Bertone silently concedes Archbishop Capovia's testimony that there are indeed two envelopes and two texts pertaining to the Third Secret. On this decisive point, it is crucial to note that De Carli specifically invites Bertone to comment on the claim that there are two texts of the Third Secret. One made known in 2000, the other remains in the papal apartment where it was put by Pius XII consulted by John the Twenty-Third and by Paul the Sixth, The so-called Capovia envelope for the name of Monsignor Lawrence F. Capovia, secretary of Pope Roncalli. And the Cardinal's reply? He simply ignores the reference to Capovia. Instead, he issues an indignant and irrelevant protest. You know what they who use the magnifying glass are prejudiced cling to? They cling to the fact that in the secret revealed, there is not one word of the Virgin addressed to the shepherds. The words of the Virgin would have been temerously censored because they are considered devastating. And on what stands the apodictic certainty that the envelope always remained in the apartment, even in a drawer of the bedside table of the Pope? Attention, first of all, to the tacit admission, under the imperius of a denial, that there was a text in the papal apartment. Bertone has suddenly recast the issue to be whether that text always remained there. Bertone then asked to know the basis for the claim that the text always remained there, as if he doesn't know. Yet Bertone is perfectly aware of Archbishop Capovia's testimony, put before him a moment earlier by De Carli, that there are two envelopes and two texts of the third secret, one of which was lodged in the papal apartment. Bertone's stupendous evasion leads to these alternative conclusions, all fatal to the official reconstruction. Bertone, whose very mission is to defend the official reconstruction, declined to speak with Archbishop Capovia about his explosive testimony because he knows or suspects that testimony is true and does not wish to have it confirmed to him directly by Capovia. 
B. Bertone attempted to remonstrate with Capovia concerning his testimony, was unable to obtain a retraction, and Capovia has stood by that testimony despite pressure from the Vatican Secretary of State. Or C. Under the mental reservation I have already discussed, Bertone is mentally operating as if the missing text does not exist because it has been deemed inauthentic, so that Capovia's testimony concerning it can likewise be treated as non-existent. Apart from the testimony of Capovia, which he fails disastrously to address, Bertone also ignores the testimony of other witnesses concerning the lodging of a text in the papal apartment, Mother Pasqualina and Robert Sereau, and the photograph in Paris Match magazine. Nevertheless, as we will see in Chapter 10, Bertone would finally be forced to admit that there was indeed a text in the papal apartment despite his evasions and apparent denials over the previous seven years. There is also a glaring omission here. Despite being aware for many years of the issue of the text in the papal apartment, and certainly since 2000 when Message was published, Bertone does not state in Last Visionary, and has never stated elsewhere, that he simply asked John Paul II, Cardinal Ratzinger, Stanislaw Dizwitz, the Pope's beloved personal secretary and now the Archbishop of Krakow, or any number of other people who would know the answer, whether in fact there was a text of the third secret in the papal apartment during the reign of John Paul II, or any of his predecessors. It would have been a simple matter to line up witnesses, including the late Pope himself while he was still alive, to testify that there was never any such text, if such were really the case. But not even one witness is presented on this crucial point from a host of people who have knowledge of the matter. Only three conclusions are possible. A. Bertone never asks the question because he does not wish to know the answer, or B, he knows the answer but is concealing it dishonestly, or C, under the mental reservation, the document in the papal apartment does not exist because it is deemed not authentic. No matter which conclusion is accepted, Bertone's failure to contest or even to mention Capovia's testimony means that the case is over. Bertone has defaulted. Conceding Cardinal Ottaviani's testimony. In Last Visionary, De Carli himself summarizes some of the evidence, including the key testimony of Cardinal Ottaviani, that the secret was written on a single piece of paper, 20-25 lines in total, whereas the document published by the Vatican in 2000 was of 62 lines, four pages exactly. Then De Carli inquires of Bertone demurely, could not the first document contain the words of the Madonna and the second the description of the vision? Bertone's reply begins with another blatant evasion. The first document does not exist. It has never existed in the archive of the Holy Office. To arrive at the documents of the archive, three keys are necessary. Then, the 1950s, there was not the figure of the congregation of the doctrine of the faith, successor to the Holy Office. The Pope himself was head of the Holy Office. I do not know what the words of Cardinal Ottaviani refer to. Notice that Bertone is careful to qualify his denial. The positive missing document never existed in the archive of the Holy Office, which of course is not the same as saying that it never existed at all. Bertone knows quite well that the claim before him is precisely that the missing document was not in the archive, but rather in the papal apartment. This is the very claim Bertone has already conceded by failing and refusing to address the testimony of Archbishop Capovia or indeed any of the other evidence placing the document in the papal apartment. As for Bertone's evasion, 
that he does not know what Cardinal Ottaviani was talking about regarding a one-page text of 25 lines, here we see again a very curious lack of effort to investigate and refute a key piece of evidence that demolishes the official reconstruction. If the report of Cardinal Ottaviani's testimony were false, Bertone had access to still-living witnesses and Vatican records that could have demonstrated this. Yet Bertone does not even try to deny that Cardinal Ottaviani said what he is reported to have said. He merely claims not to know what document Ottaviani was referring to. The testimony of Cardinal Ottaviani is thus conceded just as completely as the testimony of Archbishop Capovia. Again, Bertone has defaulted. In fact, as we shall see in chapter 8, during his television appearance a few weeks later, Bertone, reversing his claim that he had no idea what Ottaviani was talking about, would positively admit that Ottaviani had testified that the secret was written on a single page with 25 lines of text, an admission that contributed to the total collapse of the official reconstruction during Bertone's appearance. Evading the testimony of Joaquin Navarro Valls. Bertone's next evasion concerns the crucial evidence of the statement by papal spokesman Joaquin Navarro Valls, reported by the Washington Post, that John Paul II read a text of the Third Secret in 1978, only days after his election. As noted in Chapter 4, the text John Paul II read after the assassination attempt in 1981 was brought to him from the Holy Office archives, whereas there is no record of any text of the secret being brought to him from those same archives in 1978. Therefore, it follows that what the Pope read in 1978 must have been a different text located in the papal apartment, where indeed a text of the secret was lodged during the pontificates of John XXIII and Paul VI, as Archbishop Capovia and other witnesses have testified, without contradiction by Bertone. Here, De Carli was at least persistent, but his persistence was rewarded with a series of clearly calculated dodges. First, De Carli asks, According to you, John Paul II first had the third secret brought to him in Gemelli Polyclinic in July of 1981. Had he already read the text? Bertone's astounding reply, I am convinced he had not read it. He is convinced? Bertone was the key man responsible for managing the third secret controversy from 2000 going forward. Yet he never simply asked the Pope before he died in 2005 when His Holiness first read the third secret. He never asked Navarro Valls, who is still alive. Pressing further, De Carli asks, you are convinced of it or you are sure of it. In reply, the Cardinal dodges again. I am sure. I base myself on the documentation of the Archive of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, documentation that I compared with the results of the Archive of the Secretary of State. Amazingly, Bertone, who could have simply asked the Pope, and can still ask Navarro Valls when the Pope first read the Third Secret, has failed to do so, but instead tells us that he bases himself on a comparison of two sets of documents that would tell us nothing about the matter. Pressing still further, even as he moves into the next chapter of Last Visionary, De Carli asks, A Pope who feels devotion to Mary in his spiritual DNA knows that the secret exists and does not read it as soon as elected? Indeed, it is impossible to believe that John Paul II had no interest in reading the Third Secret until he was in the hospital in July 1981, nearly three years into his pontificate, especially when one considers that his predecessor, Paul VI, read the secret within six days of his election, even before he had been installed as Pope. Here's Bertone's evasive answer. 
His third on this point, in my opinion, no. It depends on the sensibility, on the particular circumstances. Just elected, John Paul II had put himself in the, to the objective of re-evangelizing the world. In his opinion, when all he had to do was ask the Pope, when all he has to do today is ask Navarro Valls to confirm or deny the report in the Washington Post, when, for that matter, he could ask anyone else who would know, such as Pope Benedict XVI or Archbishop Diswitz, and John Paul II, we are asked to believe, had no time to read the third secret during the first three years of his pontificate because he was too busy re-evangelizing the world. But what could have been more helpful in that endeavor than the contents of the secret, containing precious advice from the very mother of God to whom the Pope was devoted, as Bertone is at pains to remind us? What is to account for Bertone resolutely confining himself to an opinion or a pointless document comparison on a matter of fact he could have verified instantly with an inquiry of the Pope, Navarro Valls, Archbishop Diswitz, and who knows how many others who would be able to answer the simple question whether the Pope read a text of the secret in 1978. Once again, only three conclusions are possible. A. Bertone does not wish to know the answer so that he can appear to deny, without actually denying, that the Pope read the secret in 1978. B. He already knows the Pope did so and is hiding the truth because it shows the existence of another text. Or C. Under the mental reservation, whatever text John Paul II read in 1978 is not authentic and thus does not exist. In any case, Bertone's evident aversion to admitting that the Pope read a text of the secret in 1978, just as Navarro Valls reported, is understandable. Again, if the Pope read the secret in 1978, then the document he read was not brought to him from the Holy Office archives, which is no record of any such transaction. Since it was not in the archives, it must have been in the papal apartment, precisely where Archbishop Capavia places it in testimony before Bertone refuses to address even when he is asked about it directly by a friendly questioner. Moreover, Bertone had nothing to say about the testimony of Archbishop Capavia that Pope Paul VI likewise read a text of the Third Secret years before the official account says he did. In 1963 versus 1965, as the official account claims, Still another resounding silence in the face of powerful evidence that there is a text of the secret we have yet to see. And we will conclude at that point for today. We will continue with this chapter tomorrow. Let us conclude by honoring the Mother of God and St. Joseph. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. The Prayer of Blessed Bartolo Longo. Saint Joseph, Vicar of the Holy Ghost, in fulfilling the duties of your wonderful marriage with Mary, introduce the Holy Ghost to my will in order to ignite it with God's holy love. Present my will to the Most Holy Trinity, so that my desires may always be at God's disposal. Offer my heart to God, so that he may dwell in it, as on a throne of love and mercy. Present the movements of my soul and all the affections of my heart to God, so that through your intercession I will always be faithful to the grace and inspirations of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Virgopotens, Ora Pronobis, Sancta Yosef, Teradaimonem, Ora Pronobis, In Nomine Patris, Et Filii, Et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. The message to repent and believe in the gospel is the most important message there is. We need to know the full contents of this third secret. One day we will. We need to have the conversion of Russia and peace in the world, and that will only come with the consecration of Russia by the Pope and all the bishops of the world. We, of course, can do our part. It starts with praying the rosary every single day, staying in a state of grace. Go to confession frequently, and if you believe yourself to be in a state of mortal sin, get on the phone, call a priest, set up an appointment immediately. There's nothing more important than dying in the odor of sanctity. We want to make sure that we're with God and all his angels and saints, with everyone we love for all eternity, because that's what we're created for. I will talk to you very soon. It's been a pleasure to be your host. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye, and God love you.